um, we're going to be, uh, this is part four of our new series called Lies Christians Believe. And I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to start with a really heavy story. And it's hard to transition to a really heavy story um, just from announcements. So, um, but what we're talking about this morning is the topic of forgiveness. And, you know, many people say, I could never forgive that person. And so I want to start with a story today. Uh, so in October of 2006, there was a man named Charles Roberts, and he entered into a one-room schoolhouse for Amish children in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, if you don't know what, what Amish people, they believe, they, 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 they're the ones that um, they still have horse and, 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 and carriages. They um, don't believe in some of the modern amenities that we might believe in or ascribe to, but um, uh, still believers and still follow Christ, and so uh, many of them. And so this man goes into this one-room schoolhouse there in Pennsylvania, and he had the young men leave and unload some things from his truck into the schoolhouse, and he made the girls stay inside. And their ages were 6 to 13. Once the boys were finished unloading what he asked them to unload, he told the boys to go. And this man barricades the door, and he's now holding everyone inside hostage. He begins making threats about shooting them, and then when this happens, there are two girls, age 11 and 13, that begin negotiating with him. When they realize his intentions, these two girls, one is 11, one is 13, they begin saying to him, if you're going to shoot people, you're going to shoot me first. And they're willing to sacrifice themselves for their friends. And their hope was that if they would be the first ones taken, that maybe he wouldn't take anybody else. At this point, he becomes agitated as police begin to close in. He begins making more and more threats, and a few minutes later, he goes on a shooting rampage in the school, which ended in his suicide. When it's all over, there were five girls killed. One was seven, two were eight, one was 12, and one was 13, and five girls were injured. Now listen, we have seen many more examples of this kind of thing in our, in our country more recently. And when these things happen, there are many people that ask the question, how could anyone forgive something so horrific as that? Now, you've never seen anything like that, at least not firsthand, I don't think. But you have experienced situations where you have asked questions like, how could I possibly forgive that person? So we're doing this series, and again, today is called I could never forgive that person. We know that's a, that's a, a, a statement. Or, or we hear that all the time. We hear people say things like this, right? And, um, and there's something about not forgiving someone that can feel really good. And why is that? Well, it can make us feel morally superior, right? It, it can make us feel like we're carrying out justice against them somehow. It can make us feel like, you know, we're holding them accountable, if we don't forgive, or we think if we, if we forgive someone, we might think that it's the same thing as condoning their actions. Like, if I forgive that person, that means I'm giving a, a, an approval to what they have done. So whenever we, we don't forgive someone, it can feel like we're, we're paying someone back, like we're, we're, we're somehow righting a wrong in some way or carrying out justice. But when you really think about what it means to not forgive someone, not forgiving someone only harms ourselves, and it has a way of poisoning our other relationships as well. So when someone 
sins against us, we've got to ask ourselves a question. Is this going to make me bitter or is it going to make me better as a person? Is it going to make me someone who just hangs on to bitterness and lack of forgiveness? Or is it going to be a chance for me to grow in my understanding of the grace of Jesus offered me in the gospel? Now, sometimes we struggle to, to forgive in, in truly horrific situations, like the one I mentioned at the opening of this talk. But most of the time, the situations that we don't want to forgive are pretty silly and trivial. So being a youth pastor for a number of years, um, listen, when, it, when it's, I'm just going to say it, when, it's, when I have a, a, a topic that I'm referring more to the guys on, we, we do that, right? We talk about that. Um, what I have seen, and this is not meant to be a stereotype, but I'm going to say what I think I've seen the last 15 to 20 years. Um, I really see this especially in how girls relate to one another. This sense of when you cross a line, when you cross a line with me, and you did what you did, or you said what you said, um, I, I tend to see sometimes in, in, a, in a group like this, where on the girls' side of things, it seems like th there's no going back. Like, there, there's just no way I'm going to forgive that. There's just no way I'm going to let that go. Like, after what you did, after what you said, um, there's, there's just no way that's going to happen. And so what I have seen, whenever I talk to parents, when parents come in for my incoming freshman meeting, I say this to the parents. I say, listen, if you're the mother or father of a son, here's what I will tell you. The biggest struggle for your son these next four years will be apathy and the I just don't care attitude. Like, that will be what pulls them out of the church. But for your daughter, the thing that will make her check out on church mostly is relational conflict. And that is what I have seen. It's not always the case, but it's what I see most of the time. And, uh, and so, but, but if we're really honest and kind of pull the curtain back, we would say that most of the things we don't want to forgive are pretty silly and trivial if we just kind of boil it down. And uh, so whenever we hang on to unforgiveness, you know, our other friendships kind of turn into like vent sessions. Have you noticed that? That whenever you have this person, that you have this something against them, that your other friendships and relations become like this, this counseling session or a, a continual vent session um, is what can happen in those other relationships. So um, not only has it begun to poison us, but it, it starts to spread to other people. And now other people are involved. Other people think, well, yeah, I can't. I can't trust him or her. I don't want to be friends with him or her because of what this person said this person did to them or said to them. And so you can see how it just has a way of infecting a community and limit, limiting what unity can look like in that context. So here's the question I want to ask you just very personally. You know, where are you at with this? when it comes to unforgiveness? Are you holding on to bitterness? Are you trapped by this lie that you could never forgive someone? Or you could never forgive that, whatever that person did? One of the most frightening passages in the whole of Scripture is Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, where it says, where Jesus is saying, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father 
forgive your trespasses. Now, to be clear, there are genuine believers that struggle to forgive. So this passage is not meant to be this categorical statement that, you know, if you struggle with forgiving somebody, that means you're not a Christian. That's not what it's getting at. If you look at the, and really study this section of Scripture, I think what Jesus is really getting at here is that if you struggle to forgive someone, um, it's going to impact your fellowship with God. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. And it doesn't mean you're not saved. But if you're hanging on to bitterness and lack of forgiveness with someone, it is going to impact your fellowship with God. I'm not saying it's going to impact. It you can't lose your salvation. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But it's going to impact your your relationship with God in some way. In the same way that if in a husband-wife relationship, if, if one of them is sinning against the other one and it's not resolved, it's not confessed, it's not repented and turned from, it's just left there, well, they're, they're still married. Like that relationship is secure, but it hinders the relationship. It, it kind of feels like there's this wall up between them because of this, there's this issue between them. And the same goes for whenever we're, we're, as Christians, we can be a genuine Christian and then be walking and living in sin in certain areas of our life, and that's going to that's gonna make God feel distant from us. People often say, you know, God just feels distant. Sometimes it's just the way it is, but sometimes there's something that we're either doing or not doing that might be causing some of the distance. And I think that's what's being referred to here when we see uh, Matthew chapter 6. Now, um, in the same way that we can experience this in a human relationship, we can also experience it, I think, in a relationship with God. And so I'm not trying to communicate this morning that you know, forgiving others should not be seen as some, like, work that you do to earn salvation. Like, you know, well, I better forgive people so that God can save me. That's not what I'm referring to here. But if, if someone's a believer, then I think they're going to exemplify this life of, of grace and forgiveness. And, of course, it can be a struggle. We all struggle with that from time to time. But if it is, the, if, if it is what, what defines your entire life, just this lack of forgiveness and bitterness, then it's going to impact your relationship with God. It's going to impact your relationship with other people. And it's going to be um, harming yourself as well. And uh, so this is why, I, like, so I mentioned we, we say things like, you know, God just feels distant whenever we're, we're walking or living in sin areas of our life. There's a verse over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what does that mean? Well, it means if you have this contentious relationship with your wife and it's your fault, then God doesn't listen to your prayers. That's what that means. It, it, can, can God hear the words coming out of your mouth? Yes. But it says that God will not act on your prayers if this relationship between your wife is not right, if you're not living with her in an understanding way. So if we don't confess sin, 
and don't repent, it's going to affect fellowship with other people, also with God. So you know what comes right before this verse in Matthew chapter 6? Well, it's the Lord's Prayer. Remember the line from the Lord's Prayer where it says, it says, and forgive us our debts as we, as, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So maybe the evil that he's talking about is our unwillingness to forgive someone and the temptation that we can struggle with there. So here, here are some forgiveness lies we can, we can buy into. Some people think, and this is a lie, that forgiveness means you have to forget. You've heard people say it, you know, God forgets our sins, so you should forget what I did to you. Listen, we can't, we can't pretend, we cannot pretend to, for, to forget truly difficult or painful experiences. We just can't do that. Like, how would we do that? You know, memories are real. They're a real thing especially whenever they're wrapped around hurtful situations. And, and showing someone grace and forgiveness doesn't mean you've just totally forgotten. It might be that you remember it very well. But by God's, but by God's grace, you're choosing to forgive it. Jesus fully knew our sin better than anybody else. But he, chose, he, he still chose to forgive Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6 say, says uh, this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when Jesus, when Jesus took our sin upon himself, he fully knew our sin. He hadn't forgotten it. But when the Bible talks about God forgetting sin, it doesn't mean that God can't remember our sin. It's not as if we went and interviewed God and said, do you know what this person did on this date? It's not as if God goes, you know, I don't remember what they did. Like, that's not what it means for God to forget sin. God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. There's nothing that escapes him. So what does it mean that God forgets? Well, it means that God chooses not to act on our sin. This is what it means when, when the scriptures say that God forgets or doesn't hold sin against us. So to forgive, forgive, to forgive someone means to, to not act on their sin or hold it against them. So the first lie is forgiveness means you have to forget. That is not what that means. At times, you're unable to forget what maybe took place. And then the second lie is that forgiveness means you're condoning the actions of others. And I'm going to hit some of these really quickly. Forgiveness does not mean that you are condoning what someone else did. It does not mean you're putting a stamp of approval on what someone else did. Forgiveness is simply letting God be the ultimate judge of whatever has taken place. The next lie we can buy into is that forgiveness means you've got to be a doormat and let people just walk all over you. And this probably is one of the hardest things for us because forgiveness can feel like that, like I'm just letting this person get away with the worst thing possible. But, but forgiveness does not mean you've got to be a doormat, especially in cases, I think especially in cases of abuse. 
Forgiveness does not mean that you continue to subject yourself to abuse. Keeping yourself in an abusive situation enables the abuser, and that's not good for you or for them. There's nothing, nothing good about staying in an abusive relationship, and there's nothing forgiving about that. We, we can mix up those ideas sometimes that, well, forgiveness looks like I just continue to stay in this harmful situation to myself or to those around me, and that's not what forgiveness looks like. The next lie we can buy into is that forgiveness means you have to be close friends again. Maybe you've got a friend who has just done some really dysfunctional things, and maybe they're not really repentant. They've not really turned from that. They're continuing those things, and now they're kind of holding it over your head as if to say, but I mean, if you were going to be a gracious and forgiving person, like you would kind of let me back in, and we can be close like we used to be. Well, listen, if there's not real, genuine repentance, there is nothing forgiving about letting them continue on in that kind of dysfunction. So friendship does not mean that you've got to be close friends again. Let's be clear about that. Listen, friendship isn't marriage. Like, it's not. And some people approach friendship with you or others as if, like, well, no, no, you, we, made a, we made a covenant. We made a, a promise. It's like, eh, we never got married. I'm sorry. We're not doing that. There was nothing like that. So listen, if at times people can just grow apart, maybe something happens that, that made it difficult for the friendship to continue or be as close as it once was, listen, that's okay. Like you're going to find that as you walk through high school and then college and then young adulthood, that you're going to have some friends come and go. And, and listen, you can't be friends with everybody. You can't be close friends with everybody. And so I encourage you to be gracious to people, that people are going to kind of come into your life and kind of come out of your life, and that's just what's going to happen. And you've got to show grace to people as that begins to happen in your friendships. It doesn't mean you've got to be close with everyone at the same level that you were once before, especially if some really hard things have happened. It does, that does not mean you didn't forgive them if that's the situation that you find yourself in. In some situations, the best way to forgive is to stay far away. That might be the best thing you can do. And then next, forgiveness only comes after an apology, another lie that we can buy into. Well, I'm only going to forgive if they apologize. I can only forgive if they apologize. Or we think if, if I just hear those words, it's going to automatically trigger this forgiving response in my heart. We all know they could say sorry, and it still might not happen, right? It's a difficult thing, difficult work. Ephesians chapter 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So forgiveness doesn't just miraculously show up in our heart unless it's, as this verse says, it's deeply connected to the forgiveness that's offered to us in the gospel. Do you see how closely Paul linked those two ideas? Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you because you forgiving someone else can only flow out of you receiving 
the forgiveness offered to us in Christ. The next idea is forgiveness is based on the action of others or actions of others. So some say, well, I'm only going to forgive that person when they ask me for it or they start doing things that deserve it. But listen, we are commanded to forgive whether someone asks for our forgiveness or not. Listen, grace is giving something to other people even when they don't deserve it. So Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So if the other person that you're dealing with is not yet a believer, then maybe the grace that you show them is what introduces them to the grace of God. As Hebrews 12, 15 says, sometimes our lack of forgiveness, or if we forgive someone, that might be a stair step or a stepping stone for that person as they come to understand the grace and forgiveness offered to them by God. Like, you might be the first one to offer it to them. And it's not like you're holding it over their head saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you, but I want you to know like this is the same grace that, like, don't get preachy about it, okay? I'm just saying that if you offer it to them, that might be the first glimpse that they have in obtaining the grace offered to them in the gospel, as Hebrews 12 talks about. And lastly, forgiveness is easy. It's never easy. It's very difficult. It is not simple. It is not an easy thing. In our natural, in our, in our natural state, forgiveness is impossible. Something supernatural has to happen for forgiveness to take place. We, we simply can't just like flip a switch in ourselves and, and make it happen. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible for God. And so it's okay for you to think that forgiveness is difficult, not just difficult, but impossible apart from God doing the work in you. You can think that because that's true. Because you can't just muster it up inside yourself. You can't just work it up inside yourself. It's got to come from outside, and it's got to be supernatural. So what do we do when someone wrongs us? What is the gospel response? Well, I always go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 16, where it says, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So I leave you with this verse because here's why. Because sometimes we think forgiveness means that I don't address anything or I don't ever confront anything. That's not what forgiveness means. If someone sins against you, and I want to be clear, it, ha- it needs to be a sin, like it's an actual sin. It's not just that you just have different preferences or they did this, you don't really prefer that. That's not really a sin, it's just something altogether different. But if someone sins against you, the first thing you're to do, according to scriptures, according to the words of, of Jesus, is to go to that person. And one of the things that I tell people 
when I'm doing premarital counseling and we're talking about handling conflict with your uh, husband or wife, I say one of the best ways to approach someone is to simply say, hey, here's what you did, and then here's what I thought about it or what I felt about it. And that's all you say. And don't get into motives. Don't get into, like, when you did this or said this, I know you were trying to fill in the blank. I know you were trying to do this, and this is why I'm so upset at you, because you were doing this, and that means this and this and this. Now, that's reading into motives. You are assigning a motive to the person that may not be there. But you can, you can absolutely say, here's what you did, and here's how I felt about it. And then let them kind of sit with that. And I think you'll, you'll find that person may come around and say, yeah, I can totally see how that made you feel. And you start to work it out. But you, you, you go to the person, like what, what's happening in Matthew 18, this might sound harsh and unforgiving, but it's not. Because why would Jesus say, go to someone and tell that person what they did? Because this keeps rumors and gossip out of the equation. Because we most of the time will go to 10 people before we go to that person. We will never go to that person. We'll go to 10 other people before we go to that person at all. And then it just takes off like wildfire. So you go to the person. If they refuse it, then you bring someone along with you. And you try to speak truth again. And this is only done, of course, if there's a sin involved, not just some, some preference issue. But I would still tell you that if there is a misunderstanding that's not a sin issue, we'll go to the person and say, hey, here's what you did, and I'm just a little confused by that. It could be a misunderstanding. This is the same idea that I think you can work out with Matthew chapter 18. Now, this is the gospel response in how you respond to someone that has, has wronged you in some way. And this is true of many of the situations you're going to find yourself in. But what about situations like the horrific one we, we talked about at the beginning of this talk? I want you to see what's possible when someone lives life from the center of the gospel. Let's watch this video. The marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting. Families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today this is not at the, the National same story, Cathedral so. in Washington. Pre oh, maybe it is. Okay. I, I, it says the title. I guess play it and we'll see how it goes. Prayers were offered <laughs> for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish okay, girls okay. who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in South Central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glore tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. That could not be. And yet it truly was, it was true, it was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. 
There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives, new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Let me pray for us. God, um, we know that forgiveness, true forgiveness, uh, comes from you first. We know that um, it is such a difficult thing. It's an impossible thing apart from your supernatural grace changing us and transforming us in your likeness. God, I pray these students, as they had to break out, so I pray that um, you would just bring to mind things that are in their minds and hearts right now that um, are very difficult to forgive. And I pray that you would help um, what's taking place here today to begin working itself out in their, their hearts and minds uh, going forward, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen.